Hebrews chapter 13, continuing through our verse-by-verse study. As we've been talking about, the writer to the Hebrews, again, the book written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. Because they were continuing to have this temptation to go back into the old covenant. And in the midst of persecution and trials, that temptation only grew stronger. The, the mocking may have come. Hey, you don't have, a, you don't have a temple. You Christians, you meet in a house. You don't have the sacrifices that we have. You don't have an altar. You don't have, and you know, the whole focus of the first ten chapters is Jesus is better. He's better than the sacrifices of the old covenant. He's better than the high priest. He's better than the prophets. The prophets were good. The old covenant was good, used by God. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's better. Amen? So the first 10 chapters is his encouragement and a great amount of doctrine. And to me, the most doctrinally deep or theologically deep book in the entire New Testament outside of the book of Romans is Hebrews. And again, let me encourage you, if you haven't been here, the CDs and tapes are always free, so help yourself. But the first 10 chapters are really focus on the fact that Jesus is better. Now, as we get closer to the close, he moves from the theological and the doctrinal truths to giving them an example. And in Hebrews 11, he does just that. God's hall of faith or God's hall of fame. There you see examples of those who in the midst of trials remain faithful to the Lord. And he's giving them an example to say, hey, you're going through trials, but others have done it before you. Others have done it longer. Others have done it in more difficulty. They remain faithful. They remain faithful, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can remain faithful, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's a message for us this morning as well. Amen? No matter what you're going through, God is faithful. And He's greater. And then last week we got to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, He began to exhort them to action. He's given them the doctrinal, the theological truths of the greatness of Jesus Christ and who he is. He's given them the examples, the Old Testament saints, and their faithfulness to serve God even unto death often. And then in chapter 12, he begins to exhort them to take action. We saw in the first half, consider him. His whole focus was consider Jesus. Whatever you're going through, look unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you, you know, if you consider him, lest you'll become weary and discouraged. Guys, we get discouraged when we take our eyes off of God. We will never be discouraged when our eyes are on Jesus Christ. Amen? No matter how big the waves get, if our eyes are on the Savior and not on the waves, we, will, we can trust in his faithfulness. Y'all said consider him lest you blow your trials out of proportion. Guys, I'm not downplaying what difficulty you may be going through, but to God, it's nothing. Amen? Our trials are only great if our God is small. Our God is great. Amen? And no matter what we're going through in life, our God is greater still. And we need to consider Him in the midst of the trials. And then lastly, consider Him lest you despise correction. You know, the Lord loves you. And as a loving Heavenly Father, He loves you enough to bring correction when you need it. And praise God for His correction. Amen? We need it to be brought back into right fellowship with Him. He's exhorting them to consider the Lord. And then the second half, he exhorted them to take a stand for God. If you were here last week, the outline, to walk in the spirit, filled in spirit-filled holiness or flesh-driven bitterness. They had a choice to make, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit or to be bitter in the midst of trials. Guys, fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. When, and remember, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. Faith is simply trusting what God's word has already said and obeying it. Amen? 
And when we walk by faith, we are not afraid because we know who's in control and we know the greatness of our God. We then saw the contrast between the law given at Mount Sinai and the grace given at Mount Zion. Remember that contrast last week. Again, they wanted to go back to the old covenant law. He reminded them, remember when the law was given at Sinai. How did the people respond? You know what they said to Moses? You go talk to him because we can't take it. You know, if we're around him when he talks one more time, we're all going to die. There was an incredible fear when the law was given. But you know what? Praise God, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. Amen? And under the law, there was a fear and a a shaking. and They didn't want to go near. And you know what? By God's grace, we can come near. The veil's been torn. We can enter into the Holy of Holies anywhere and any time and have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Why in the world would we want to go back to something less? Why would we want to go back to the counsel of the world or the things of this world? And in their case, go back to the old covenant, to the shadow, when we have the substance. And then lastly... It was time to make a stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ, either to stand upon him or to be judged by him. So now we get to chapter 13, and as he closes out, the writer, again, after theologically examining the true source of faith, Jesus Christ is better, encouraging them with the hall of faith, exhorting them to walk by faith, he now comes to this final chapter, and in this morning's text, he gives practical evidences of faith. Things that should be evident in the life of a believer as we're walking with the Lord. And I always get very ambitious. I don't know why I do. I outline the entire chapter. It's not going to happen. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right up front. We're going to look at the first half this morning and the second half next Sunday. When I get to 40 pages of notes, I know it's time to stop or you'll all be throwing things at me, okay? So we're going to look at the first half of the chapter this morning, but I'll give you the outline for the entire chapter. So I titled the message, Living by Faith. And as we live by faith, what are some of the evidences that we will see in the life of a believer as we walk in faith, as our eyes are focused on God, as we have an eternal perspective? Number one, we enjoy spiritual fellowship. When we're living by faith, we enjoy spiritual fellowship. And that should be evident in the life of one who is walking by faith with the Lord. Number two, we submit to spiritual leadership. Not only of those God has placed upon the earth to lead, but also the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ. The next week, we will see that we share in spiritual worship and we experience spiritual lordship. So let's begin in chapter 13 of Living by Faith, enjoying spiritual fellowship, beginning in verse 1. It says, let brotherly love continue. The word brotherly love there is Philadelphia. And it's a Again, it's known as a love that Christians should have for one another. In ancient Greek, it speaks of a love and a deep friendship and a partnership. And the basis for our fellowship, you guys, is not our physical things we have in common, but it's the bond we have in Jesus Christ and the supernatural love for one another that it produces. Guys, it's been said that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. When we've got Jesus in common, we've got everything in common. And one of the evidences that ought to be very clear to the world around us and to each of us as we spend time together is the supernatural brotherly love that we have for each other. 
You know, one of the greatest compliments that I get about our fellowship is when people email me who have visited and say they've never felt so loved in their lives. Guys, that only happens as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, as we're filled with His love, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we have that evidenced in our lives and it pours out on the people around us. Amen? And the truth is, when someone walks in the door here, you've heard me say it before, this is not a police station where people come to get beat up or arrested. It's a hospital where we come to be mended and cared for. Amen? We come here to worship Almighty God, to enter into His presence, but there are people walking in the door that are hurting, and you and I need to use our gifts to reach out to them in love. Amen? And you know what? That love should be abounding in this room like it's going to abound in heaven one day. We should get a taste of it. And he's, he's encouraging them as they live by faith to let this brotherly love continue. Now remember, these first century Jews, many of them had been rejected by family. You know, they gave their life to Jesus Christ. They walked away from the old covenant. They're still going to the temple. They're now worshiping the true and living God, the Messiah, the one whom all the old covenant sacrifices pointed to. And some of them had been rejected by family. And this exhortation to them is, hey, your family may have walked away from you, but your brothers and sisters in Christ will not. The deepest kind of fellowship, again, is not based on earthly blood, but being infilled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, we should love our earthly families. God's put them in our life for a reason, amen? But you know what? Your earthly family will be a family for a lifetime. But your spiritual family will be a family for eternity. Guys, if you're not getting along with a brother or sister in Christ, you better get along with them because you're going to be hanging out with them forever. Amen? So let's make things right now. Amen? Let's do it now. Let's get right with them now. The Bible says in Romans 12, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. This is a sign of that brotherly love is when we esteem others greater than ourselves. It's not a self-centered love. It's a selfless love. 1 Peter says, verse 22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Guys, as we are filled with the spirit of the living God, the love of God should be pouring out of us. And the, reminder, the, the writer is reminding these struggling and conflicted early Christians that they are more than just friends or members of a church They are family. And guys, we're family because we have Jesus Christ in common. Amen? But guys, we don't have membership at Calvary Chapel. You show up. This is your church. You're a part of the family. Amen? That's how it works here. Some people think, well, i got to get in the church directory because then Pastor Dave will pray for me. Then I'm really a part of the family. Well, let me encourage you to do that. But we don't have membership here. And if we, if we have Jesus in common, we've got everything in common. And if, you're, if it's your first time here, may that brotherly love be poured out upon you. Again, it wasn't their common views, but the commonality they had in Christ. And a fellowship based on anything else other than the Holy Spirit will not last. It won't. And without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, church is nothing more than a religious country club. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and pour himself out upon us, this is a waste of time. Amen? And if the word of God is not taught and brotherly love is not being poured out, let's put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club. Amen? Because that's all it is, is a big group of people getting together with nothing of value really happening. I'm going to be in trouble with the Elks Club when this comes out on the radio, but that's all right. 
Give me a chance to witness to them. <laughs> Guys, we're family, and it doesn't just mean the believers in this building, but all believers. Amen? Amen? And all the churches in Santa Cruz, does Santa Cruz need Jesus Christ or what? And so we are all on this, in the same mission, with the same passion, and the same focus, and the same heart. And instead of tearing one another down, we ought to be building each other up. Amen? And as hard as it is for me to see Omar go, I'm praising God because I know God's going to continue to use him in another place to reach this county for the Lord. Amen? It's not about building Calvary Chapel. It's about building the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. And let that brotherly love continue. Now, as a parent, there are few things that grieve me more than to see my children fighting with each other. I can't stand it. And, you know, it just grieves your heart. Why? Because you love them and it grieves you when they fight with each other. And I'm an earthly dad. How much more does it grieve the heart of our heavenly father when we who are to be brothers and sisters in Christ are fighting with each other and tearing each other down? We've fallen right into the enemy's trap to get distracted from what we're called to do, which is to reach the lost with the truth of the gospel. Amen? So let's not tear, let's be magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. Let's not find out the one minor thing that we don't have in common. Let's focus on the common thread of Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. That's what matters. Amen? And let's be focused on that. And let that brotherly love continue. Praise God that he's called us to love one another and then he's given us the ability to do so. So enjoy the spiritual fellowship, that common Bond of spirit-empowered brotherly love. Verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Guys, where there is true Christian love, there will also be hospitality. You know, in those days, it was different than today. They didn't have the hotels on every you know, off-ramp when you're driving down the road like we do. And when they did have a motel or an inn to stay in, they were usually very corrupt. They were notorious for wickedness and prostitution and debauchery. And so for a Christian who was traveling, the last place they ought to be is in one of those places. And for them to find a place to stay would be another Christian opening up their home. To someone they've never met before. Now the word stranger here is not speaking of unbelievers. It's speaking of Christians you've never met in context. And so to reach out to those we don't know. And you know that needs to start right here in this church building. Sometimes what happens is we find that, that group of people we're really comfortable with. And we run to those same six people every week. And there's always a few who are new kind of standing out here don't know anybody. And isn't it hard to go to a new church? You feel kind of on the outside, you don't know anybody, and right? you're wondering if this pastor's ever going to shut up, and all those kinds of things. But here's the point. The point is that those of us who are here need to reach out to those who are new, and make them feel welcomed and loved. You know, one of the things I do miss about growing up in the Baptist church, I got saved at the first Baptist church of Wilmington in 1968. And in Mrs. Green's four and five year old class. But I remember growing up how there was such a sense of hospitality. Every, virtually every week my mom would put a roast in the oven before we went to church. Knowing we were going to invite somebody to come home. But never knowing who that person was going to be. 
And you get to church and you look for the new person. What are you doing for lunch today? And you invite them over. And you know what's interesting? My wife and I, when we were first married and living in Southern California, we kind of carried on that tradition. We didn't make roast. I barbecued. It's easier. But, you know, but what we would do is we would look for someone new every week to invite them over. We lived in the desert. I had a swimming pool. It made it very enticing for people. It's 115. Would you like to come swimming? Yeah, I think I'd like that. That'd be good. And so what would happen, though, is you, we would every week invite somebody over. And what's incredible is some of our dearest friends to this day are those people. And I, I believe that we as a body need to have more of this hospitality where we are looking around and we are opening up our homes and we are inviting, but, but Pastor Dave, man, I want to chill on Sunday afternoon. I just want to go home and watch the Niners lose another game. That's what I want to do. You're not missing anything. You already know they're going to lose. But here's the point. Hospitality is an important virtue, and it is commanded by the Word of God. It says in 1 Peter, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. In Romans 12, it says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Real love is more than a feeling, it produces an action. In 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, pastors are to be lovers of hospitality. Lovers of hospitality. If they can't open their home, they're not called. And it's a sign, again, of the love of Christ, that brotherly love continuing. Here it is being acted out. These things should be evident in the life of a healthy church that we're hospitable one to another. That we don't see our home as our home, but God's house. Amen? And we're using it for His glory. And it's not my stuff, but it's His stuff. And if we see someone in need, we reach out and we minister to them, that God might be glorified. And the verses, don't forget to entertain strangers again christians but those who they had never met and again a huge part of enjoying spiritual fellowship is to open up our homes to others and again a practice that is lacking in much of the church today you know what the enemy wants to do isolate believers he wants you to not come to church at all but if you do come come late leave early talk to no one amen Come in during the last worship song, blow out during the final prayer, get in your car, be the first one out of the parking lot, and speak to no one. I made it another week, and I have to talk to anybody. Didn't use my gifts again, right? Didn't allow anybody to minister to me yet again. Hey, another week. But you know, we live in a country where you can get in your car in the morning and drive to work and go to your cubicle and sit at your desk and, you know... Eat lunch at your desk and then go get back in your car and drive back to your house. Drive through the ATM when you need money. Go through a drive-thru when you need food. Never talk to anyone. Have no relationship with anyone. And that's when the enemy wins. The Lord called us to be salt and light. And you can't be salt and light if you're being hidden under a bushel. Amen? You don't want to hide our light under a basket. We're to, you know, shine it, a city set on a hill, right, that everybody can see. That brotherly love needs to be exhibited one to another. And we need to understand that God has called us to entertain strangers. Again, I think there's some things we could learn. You know, I, I, I'll even say this. Our entire Sunday was set aside for fellowship when I was growing up. You'd invite somebody over, they'd stay at your house for five or six hours, and you'd go back for Sunday night service. Dude, that's like radical, man. I mean, all day? you got to be kidding me. That's my nap time. 
Hey, nothing wrong with a nap. But you know what? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And this is an opportunity for us to reach out to people in love. Amen? And I find it interesting that, that if somebody comes to church one time and you invite them over and love on them, you know what? They're going to feel at home here from that day forward. Amen? And I can tell you that, again, some of my dearest friends, Javier Loera, who's the worship leader at Calvary San Jose, was somebody we invited over their first Sunday. We became very close friends. He became the worship leader here when the church started. He's still being used mildly by God. And we invited him over. They didn't even know Jesus Christ yet. Guys, let's open up our homes, amen? Let's use the gift of hospitality. Let's look around and, and, and quit trying to be the Christian on an island. But take the time to make God the priority and to use all that we have for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's not keep one another at arm's length, but let's reach out in love. And again, one of the reasons so many people find it hard to get plug in, plugged into a church is a lack of hospitality when they show up. I can't tell you how many people will call and say, I tried coming to your church, you know, I visited, and I just couldn't meet anybody. Now, again, it's a two-way street. Those people need to reach out too. But guys, we can't blame them. We need to reach out to them. Amen? And sometimes you're hearing, you think, no one's reaching out to me, and the person you're sitting next to is new just like you are. So just love on them anyway. They don't know you're not new. Amen? <laughs> Minister to them. Reach out to them. Let's do that. And it says, by, by so doing, have unwittingly un entertained angels. Now, this happened a lot, didn't it? Lot's in, you know, Sodom, where he shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have gone down there at all. But he's in Sodom, and the angels show up, basically to warn him and to bring his family out. And he finds out these two men are, are planning on sleeping out in the courtyard at night. And he goes, oh, bad idea. You don't want to do that here. And he, he invites them to come to his house. And then he finds out again in the end that he's entertaining angels unaware. And it was a good thing they were in his house, or Lot would have been in a lot of trouble. But you know what? I believe that what this is really talking about, certainly the, the Bible tells us we can entertain angels unaware. We won't fully grasp the spiritual going-ons all around us till we get to heaven. Amen? It's a spiritual battle that we're in. We have no idea. There's times when I've wondered. I was, we were down in Mexico one time with a youth group in San Jose, and a guy was standing next to me. We were sharing the, our, our faith with a guy. I was just kind of standing to the side. A young guy from our church was sharing his faith with somebody. And he looked at me and said, Pastor Dave, I could really use a, a, a Spanish-English Bible right now. I mean, we're, and we're in downtown Tijuana. And I kid you not, five seconds later, a guy walks up. He had a bright orange shirt on that said, Jesus saves on it. And says, hey, bro, could you use this? And it was a Spanish-English Bible. And I was like, dude. And then he hands it to him. We're talking to the guy. And I turn around. The guy's gone. Now, he could have just been a missionary who was down there. I have no idea. But I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was a God thing right there. Now, we have no idea until we get to heaven. Amen? We have no idea. And so if you knew that there was an angel coming to your house, how might you treat them? Amen? Oh, angel, oh, might want to treat them with some kindness, amen? I might, I might want to turn the TV off and minister to them. But guys, we ought to be that way no matter what. The key point I believe the, the writer is making is when we extend hospitality, it is often we who are blessed and ministered to. You know, when we open up our home and we, our desire is to reach out to others, often it's then that God ministers to us. We reach out to them sent by God to minister to us. And you know, it says in Matthew, Jesus said this, When I was hungry, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. 
You know what? He said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Guys, when we minister to others, we're ministering to the Lord. You understand that? And he's telling them, do not forget to entertain strangers. Let that brotherly love continue. These are signs of a, a healthy Christian. Not someone who isolates, but someone who reaches out. Not somebody who hoards their stuff, but someone who holds it lightly. Not someone who considers their house their place, but a place of ministry that God could use it for his glory. Amen? Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now, these prisoners were not people in prison because they murdered somebody. I did prison ministry for several years in Lancaster. Went in every Tuesday night. Prison ministry is a wonderful thing. There are millions of people in prison right now. That's a great ministry. And you know what? Praise God if you're involved in that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those who are in prison for their faith. This is a time when Christians are being persecuted. Many are being taken captive in Roman jails and in jails around the world. And he's saying, you know, it's very easy for us when we're sitting in our comfort to forget about those who are suffering for the kingdom of God. And he's reminding them as they're moaning and complaining and murmuring about their trials to not forget about those who are truly suffering even in an even greater way. Those who are in prison, don't forget about them, he's telling them. Guys, today, we might look around and say, well, we live in America. That doesn't really happen here. Well, not yet, but get ready. But I want to say this. I know I'm guilty of forgetting about them. But do you know there are people all over the world today suffering for the name of Jesus Christ? You know there are people in prison? Now, I read this somewhere, and I'm just, I don't have the, the source so I just share with, a, with that caveat that I read somewhere that more Christians have been martyred, imprisoned, and suffered in the last hundred years than any other century in human history. And we think that, oh, well, it was really bad back then in Jesus' day. No, it's bad now. Most of you know we're big supporters of gospel for Asia. And by the grace of God, I get to go there every year and share with a couple hundred to sometimes up to a thousand pastors in, in a couple of weeks to share with them how to study their Bible inductively so they can go out and minister to people. And I remember asking one of the principals of one of the schools, you know, what percentage of these guys will be beaten for their faith? And I remember him looking at me with a puzzled look and he says, what do you mean, what percentage? I said, well, you know, how prevalent is it? He goes, what percentage? All of them. All of them. It's not if they will be beaten. How many times will they be beaten? How severely will they be beaten? Guys, can you imagine if everybody who went into ministry in the United States knew that it would come with regular beatings? We'd lose a lot of pastors. And we probably should. But you know what? Our heart ought to be to pray for them. Amen? While we cannot necessarily... The Bible says that right there in that verse that we are chained with them. How? We are joined with them as their family. Amen? We're a part of their family. We need to be praying for them. Let me encourage you, if you haven't, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the Jesus Freaks books. We got them in the bookstore. I've read through them. It's just, I like to read them as part of my devotions. It just reminds me of the faithfulness of those who are willing to lay down their lives for Jesus Christ. And if people are willing to die for the Lord, we ought to be willing to live for Him. Amen? 
And we need to be reminded to pray for them. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. We're all of the same body. If your son or daughter were being imprisoned for their faith, how much would you pray for them? But guess what? Those who are imprisoned are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And we ought to be praying for them. Now, in those days, you understand something, too. That if you were imprisoned, a lot of times you had to rely on your friends to care for your needs. Because in prison now, in, at least in our country, you, know, you get clothing, you get food. That's not always the case then. You know, at one point, Paul's in prison. He writes to Timothy, and he says, bring my cloak. You know, winter's coming on. It's freezing here. Timothy, could you do me a favor and bring me a coat? Bring me my cloak. You know what's awesome, though? He also asked for the writings or the books as well. You know, bring me the Bible. I know I'm about to face my death. Bring me a warm coat and bring me the word because that's really going to comfort me. But the point is that there were those suffering and the body of Christ was to rally around them. You know, now, was it a danger to be identified with the prisoner? Yes. If you're identified with a prisoner, you might be next. But the exhortation here is that someone who's walking in the Spirit, who's walking by faith, is much more concerned about being faithful to God than being afraid of what men can do to them. Amen? And this is an exhortation to us, that we not fear men, but we be faithful to God. As we enjoy spiritual fellowship, we love one another, we reach out and open our homes to strangers, we remember those imprisoned and suffering for the gospel, Verse 4, have you noticed how they're just little subjects here, one right after the other? You know, this reminds me of people say that Hebrews is like the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is like the Proverbs section. I mean, as you go through it, it's just like one just clear, concise, exhortive thing about practical living for the believer. Verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You know, the home is the first place where Christian love and fellowship should be practiced. Amen? Sadly, it's often the last place, isn't it? We're really good Christians at work, and, you know, and then we get home and, ah, right? And we just kind of take it out on family sometimes. It's so true. But you know what? It's the number one place Christian love ought to be practiced. Amen? And fellowship. It says marriage is honorable. There was a teaching going around that marriage was not God's highest. That it was better to be single. And Paul even said, you know, hey, it's better if you are as I am. But he's making the point here that being single nor being married is, neither one is better in God's eyes. It's just you being faithful to what God has called you to be. Amen? If your God's called you to be single, you be single and honor God in your singleness. Amen? And if God has called you to be married, you be faithful in your marriage. And he's speaking of the marriage, saying marriage is honorable among all, not more or less spiritual to be married or single. And, the, and it says there, and the bed undefiled. Now, in a time when sexual immorality and perversion are running rampant, many have viewed all physical intimacy as being dirty or shameful, even in marriages. I've counseled people who feel that way. But I was so promiscuous before my marriage, now I feel like it's dirty in my marriage. Guys, I'm going to be real blunt with you. God created sex. Amen? And he created it to be a good thing to be enjoyed in marriage. In marriage, it's good. When I was a youth pastor, I used to equate sex to fire. 
Fire in your fireplace, good. Amen? You can cook, warms your house, right? Fire in the drapes, burns your house down. Amen? Sex inside of marriage is good. God created it. And let me just say this, just to be as direct as I can be. You are not to withhold that from your, from your spouse. That is not what God would have you do. If you're doing it, you need to repent and stop. But Pastor Dave, he's mean to me. So he needs to stop being mean. But you need to start being loving. Amen? The Bible even says, my body is not my own. It's for the enjoyment of my wife and vice versa. And the same is true for every married couple in here. Amen? So let me encourage you with that because the enemy will use that lack of intimacy in marriage to bring about fornication and adultery. Do you understand that? God's designed that it remain within the marriage. That was God's plan always. The Bible celebrates the physical intimacy within the commitment of marriage. Read the, read the Song of Solomon sometime. The Bible tells us, again, our bodies are not our own, but meant for the, for the fulfillment of our spouses. And as Christians, it is sin to withhold that intimacy in marriage. Now, while God created sex, and in marriage it is good, the world has perverted it. Because it says there, the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now the word fornicator, if somebody has the old King James, what does it say? Anybody? Whoremongers. A fornicator is a whoremonger. It's in the Bible. Now, the word fornicator is in the Greek pornos, where we get the word pornography. So if you are looking at pornography, you are fornicating. That's what the Bible, you're in sin, you need to repent, you need to stop. Amen? And it is an epidemic today, even in the church. Why? Because of the isolation, because of the ability to sit with a computer on in a closed room late at night. Everyone's asleep. Like the, the man who would never go down to a strip club because everyone would see him gets involved in it in his own home. I have to tell you something as your pastor. I wish the internet would just explode. That's just my opinion. While there's good things about it, it brings the access to things into our homes that I don't like. And if you struggle with it, get the internet out of your house. But I need it for my eBay and my, you you don't need it that bad. Amen? You need your marriage more. You need your faith in God more. You need to be obedient to Him more. If you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. Amen? And He says here that fornicators and adulterers, what does it say? God will judge. Now, fornication is any physical Sexual activity outside of marriage can be between unmarried people, it can be homosexuality, and it can be pornography. Pastor Dave, is homosexuality sin? Yes, it is. God did not create men to be with men. He says it's an abomination. Now, that being said, we reach out to them in love. Amen? We don't walk around self-righteous and, oh man, you know, what we do instead is we say, you know what, that person needs Jesus. We don't try to change their behavior. We want to change their hearts. If they fall in love with the Lord, they'll walk away from that stuff. Amen? And that's how we reach them. We reach them with the love of God. That, let that brotherly love continue even to those who are in the midst of sin that we find repulsive because you know what? Our sin's repulsive to God and He still loves us. Amen? And so let that brotherly love continue. Fornicators. Then it says adulterers. Those who are married and become involved in a sexual relationship outside of their marriage bond. 
Society sees sex as no big deal. They hold those with biblical values as, as prudes who need to lighten up. But guys, the world is not the standard. The Word of God is. Amen? And it doesn't matter how okay it is. And they try to dial it down. They call it an affair. Having an affair. It's a catered affair. Now, you know what I mean? It's not an affair. It's adultery. Amen? It's adultery. It's sin. It's wrong. God hates it. And so should we. And he says there that God will judge it. Well, some, now, last time I talked about this, I had a man, I'm just being, you know me, I'm transparent. Had a man get mad and leave the church when I said this. So please listen to my whole explanation before you run out the door, okay? If you go to the center of sexually transmitted diseases, you will see a list of all the diseases, most of which, if not all, are consequences of sex outside of marriage. If you have one man with one woman for a lifetime, that stuff doesn't happen, amen? And AIDS, and this is why I got in trouble, there's not a doubt in my mind that AIDS is a plague that God allowed because of the promiscuousness of people. Amen? Now, some people, the man said, what about children who get it? Guys, we go out and we commit adultery. There can be a baby who was born. It's not the baby's fault, but it's still a consequence of my ungodly behavior. Amen? And children can end up with AIDS. It's not the child's fault, but it's a consequence of ungodly behavior. God will not be mocked when it comes to this, you guys. And we should not take sex outside of marriage lightly. God doesn't, neither should we. God will judge it, and he already is. The consequences of it are heavy duty. You, you know what? You can have an adulterous, uh, you know, commit adultery and die several years later from it because of a sexually transmitted disease. God will bring judgment upon it. Now, if that's been your lifestyle in the past, God's a God of love and grace and mercy. Amen? And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And he desires to forgive you and make you right before him, even now. So guys, we should be enjoying that spiritual fellowship in our home and in our marriage is the first place where that Christian love and fellowship should be practiced. Our home should be a place of intimacy, loyalty, and purity. A dedicated Christian home is the closest thing to heaven on earth. And it begins with a Christian marriage It takes a stand for purity in the midst of a perverse world. Amen? And we need to do that. We need to do that. And again, even when it comes to that computer screen. If, that's a struggle, if, if you're struggling with that, get rid of it. Your wife is more valuable. Your relationship with God is more valuable. Amen? Whatever it takes. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let your conduct be without covetousness. The word covetous means to be a lover of money or material things. When money and material things is the passion of your life, you've missed it. Covetousness and even greed are often excused and even admired in our culture today, simply called ambitious. He's so ambitious. She's so ambitious. Pursuing money and wealth. Now, I've heard this quote attributed to J. Paul Getty. I've heard it attributed to another rich man whose last name I can't pronounce and also Rockefeller. So I don't know who said it or if any of them said it, but I'll tell you what it is. Somebody supposedly said, how much money does a man need to be satisfied? And this very wealthy man said, a little bit more. You know, your flesh will never be satisfied. You understand that, right? 
When you reach the goal you've set for yourself, you'll always need a little more. And here's the truth, guys. If you're in this room today, you have a house to live in and food in your fridge. You're rich. Amen? Compared to most of the world we live in today, you're extremely wealthy. And yet we've got to have a bigger house and more cars and more stuff and more things. And you know what? We get to the point where we're pursuing that which is perishing. We have no time for that which is eternal. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on what really matters. It's, now, how do you keep from falling into the trap of covetousness? How do you keep from falling into that trap of being so passionately pursuing more stuff? Here's the key. It says in the second part of the verse, be content with such things as you have. Look around and praise God for what you have. Don't murmur because it's not nicer. Amen? You know, at my house, all I got is three bedroom, two bath. We live in an apartment. I don't even own it. Guys, we're all renting ultimately. Amen? We're not going to be here forever, right? It's all going to burn at some point. You know, guys, this is not our home. Heaven's our home. Amen? And that's where we're, you know, going to lay down roots forever. And sadly, we can murmur and complain instead of saying, you know what, Lord, I don't deserve what I've already been given. Thank you, God, for what I have. Amen? And learn to be content, not to be looking at things from a physical perspective, but a spiritual one. Guys, true contentment does not come from material things. Only God can truly satisfy the heart. Paul had the right idea in Philippians 4 when he said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment has much more to do with what you are on the inside rather than what you have, guys. Contentment comes from a right walk with God, not enough money in the bank account. Amen? And we can all fall into that trap. I know I have. If I had so much money in the bank, then I'd be, oh, then I'd, oh, yeah, then I'd really be secure. Guys, if your security is in anything you can lose, you're not very secure. Amen? You put your security in Christ, you will be secure. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? And we can be content because of the rest of the verse. He says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Guys, is there any greater wealth or riches than that that God says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I will always be with you, I will never leave you, no matter what you go through, what is greater wealth than that? Right in the midst of the verse of being content, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Again, the material things can be lost, they can be stolen, but God will never leave us nor forsake us. True contentment comes not from worldly possessions, but our heavenly position. Amen? Who we are in Jesus Christ. Verse 6. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now remember, this is being written to these first century Jews who are being contemplating going back to the old covenant and they're facing you know, temptation and trials and persecution. And this reminder comes to them. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear What can man do to me? Real contentment comes when we trust God to meet our needs and to be our security. When our peace is in Him. Guys, the world can't do anything to you unless God allows it. Amen? Some have said, well, God is in control, but He's not in control of all the details. If He's not in control of all the details, He's not in control. Amen? He's in control of everything. 
So anything that comes my way, God allowed it. If he allowed it, he's going to use it for his glory if I will let him. Amen? And I'm saying to these guys, what do you have to fear? There's nothing man can do to you unless God allows it. God is faithful. Trust him. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. As we walk by faith, we will not walk in fear. Because we will know that God is with us. Our peace is in him. Not our career. Not our possessions. And again, these early Christians, and maybe you and I today, need to be reminded, if God is for us, who can be against us? So as we live by faith, enjoying spiritual fellowship, brotherly love is, is something that should be pouring out of us. We should be extending hospitality, ever mindful of those suffering for the sake of the gospel, enjoying intimacy and purity in marriage, remaining pure in anticipation of marriage if you're single. Not getting caught up in the pursuit of worldly possessions, but being content with God's provision and God's presence, knowing that intimate fellowship with Him is greater than anything this temporal, fallen world will ever offer me. Guys, that's living by faith. And that's continuing in that brotherly love. Well, you know what? I don't want to rush to the next three, so I'm going to stop right there. Okay? But let me encourage you. Read the rest of the chapter. Lord willing, we're going to look at the rest of it next week. But I want to encourage each of us that God has called us more than to have saved souls and wasted lives. Amen? God doesn't want us to be saved as though by fire. As close to the world as we can be and still, you know, oh, I'm going to heaven, but just barely. Now, guys, once once we're saved, God saved us. Amen? And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? But know this. Our lives can be fruitful. And God wants our life to be fruitful. Amen? God wants our lives to have an impact on eternity. And may we live by faith. May we walk in faith. May we exhibit godly love. May we have purity in our homes and in our marriages. May we not compromise our faith. May we not put possessions over a relationship with God. May we trust in His sovereignty. May we walk in the center of His will. You know what? May we be salt and light to a lost and dying world that doesn't have what we have, the truth. Amen? They need the hope that lies within us. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's not hide our light under a bushel. And let's pray for Santa Cruz, amen? And let's pray for those who are suffering, even right now. Those who right now are imprisoned for their faith. Here we are. We're afraid our neighbor might not like us so much if we share Jesus with them. And there are those who are being martyred and suffering for the kingdom of God. We're blessed that we don't live in that environment. But that that doesn't mean that we should have less boldness, but more. Amen? Because we can stand up for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you and worship and honor your most holy name. And Lord, we thank you for the exhortations, the encouragement to living a life. A life built in faith. A life walking in obedience to you, a life trusting you that you know what's best for us. Lord, I do pray for each of us, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to exhibit that brotherly love one to another. Lord, I pray that our faith would produce an action in our lives. Lord, that we'd exhibit that love in the way we treat each other. Lord, that 
we would be those who open up our homes, that exhibit hospitality and ministering one to another, that we would use your resources for your kingdom and your glory and not our comfort. Father, I do want to lift up in Jesus' name right now those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Lord, may you comfort them. May you strengthen them. May you minister to them, Lord. May your hand be upon them. May we be ever mindful of them, Lord, to intercede on their behalf. Father, if there ever come a day when that, we'd be put in that situation ourselves, I pray you'd give us the boldness to stand for you. Lord, I pray for the marriages represented here. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, you would help us to have that love begin in our homes, that supernatural spiritual love one for another, the intimacy in marriage. Father, I pray for purity in our households. Lord, that we would be faithful before you. Lord, I pray for those who are single, that they would remain faithful until the day they are married. Lord, they would be waiting for that spouse that you have for them. Lord, that one day that marriage bed would indeed be undefiled. Lord, I pray for those who are being tempted and drawn away. Maybe someone's flirting with somebody at work, even right now. Maybe they're spending time looking at things on the internet that they shouldn't. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that right now you would bring us to a place of brokenness and repentance before you. Lord, that we would turn our eyes away from those things, get them back on you and on the spouse that you have given us, to love them. Father, I also want to just continue to pray for this county, Lord. I I so desperately want to see revival here. But Lord, I know that that's going to begin in our hearts first. Help us, Lord, to be unashamed of you, not to fear man, but to be faithful to you. To know, Lord, that Every opportunity is a divine appointment. You bring them every day. Help us not to miss them, Lord. But help us, Lord, to be faithful when those opportunities come. To open up our mouths and let your Holy Spirit speak through us. Father, help us not to covet the things of this world. But help us, Lord, to be content with the incredible blessings you've already given us. You're a great and an awesome God. You've given us so much more than we deserve. All this in heaven, too. Thank you. We praise you. We worship and honor your most holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.